are going to be in Mark chapter 2 this morning. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, I'm using the Pew Bible if you want to follow along there. It is page 888. Page 888. Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. I'll read the passage. I'll, I'll say a prayer and we'll, we'll work through the, the story together. Starting in verse 1, it says, When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to, him, said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's say a prayer. Lord, thank you for this passage, and thank you for what it teaches us about Jesus Christ. Lord, draw us close to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had a time where you really wanted to see someone, or you really wanted to do something, but there were some obstacles in the way of you seeing that someone or doing uh, that something. As you're all aware, we just got back from Canada about 10 or so days ago, and with the, pan with the pandemic, it had been two years at this point since Laura had been able uh, to go to her childhood home. Two years since she had been in her hometown, since she had seen her aunts and her uncles and her cousins, two years since she had seen her grandmother, who just turned 99 years old this year, all that to say, uh, we really wanted to go to Canada for Christmas this year and hopefully see some snow, which we did, and it was awesome. It wasn't the best we could have got, but we got to see some snow, and that was good enough to take Alice sledding, which we had some fun uh, doing that. And the borders were open, so we were technically able to go, but that didn't mean that we didn't have uh, some obstacles to go through. So to go to Canada, we each had to, me and Laura, it didn't count for, for Alice and Jane, it starts at age five, but me and Laura, we each had to take uh, a PCR COVID test within 72 hours of crossing the border. So by the time we got our results back, we were already on the road, like halfway there through West Virginia, getting into Pennsylvania uh, by the time we got our results back. So if either one of us was positive, we'd just have to turn around and come back home. Right, that, I mean, that's the risk. There was some risk there. There was an obstacle there. 
either one was positive, we'd just have to go back home. And then there's the border. I don't know if you guys have ever driven through a border, uh, but not even in the pandemic, it's very intimidating. Like these, these guys are just, I don't know, they hate their lives, they hate their jobs, I don't know. They just, they're, they're angry, mean men and women. That's just how it is. It's rare to come across a nice one. Uh, but it's very intimidating. But on top of that, uh, you have to have all the proper paperwork, all the documentation to get across. We had to f- create and download this app and fill out all this information about our vaccination status and our COVID tests and making sure we were, we were clear to get across. Um, and if you're missing just one thing, even if it's just one small thing, they won't let you in. So there's an obstacle there. Uh, and if it were on my shoulders to make this happen, it wouldn't happen, and we'd get turned away at the border. But thankfully, Laura's the organized one in the family, if you could not guess that uh, by knowing us. So she, she always makes sure we have what we need, and we did. Uh, and right as we were being sent through, the border agent says, Trevor, you've been selected for a random COVID test. And she handed me a box with a PCR test in it that I had to take as soon as we got to her parents' house. I had to FaceTime with a health official uh, while they walked me through taking this COVID test. Uh, And and if it had been positive, well, I mean, the trip ruined. I don't know what they would have done, but I would have had to quarantine there for two weeks. Um, And that's kind of the setup that we had. So there was another obstacle, which we knew was a risk, and it so happened I had to do it. And I like to think, this wasn't random, okay? You picked the one American in the car <laughs> with this test, and you made me take it. So that's, that's kind of how that happened. So that was another obstacle. Thankfully, that was negative, and we enjoyed the trip. And it wasn't until the day we left that I got sick and I got COVID. So in, in the end, I, I did end up getting it, and it was a pain. But it didn't happen while we were there. Uh, all's good now. We're okay. But we knew the obstacle before us. We knew the risk knowing that there's a chance we might drive 15 hours, get to the border, and get turned away and have to go all the way back home. But we took that risk because we wanted to see her family. And so because for us, the reward was greater than the risk. And that's what we see in this story. A paralyzed man carried by his friends wanting to see Jesus because Jesus just might heal him. There were obstacles in the way. He had to get to Jesus, which travel obviously would not be easy for a man who's paralyzed, even if it's just a short trip. Even if it was in town, he had to be carried. He had to get through the crowds. He had to find another way when the crowds were too big. They had to interrupt Jesus when he was teaching, which could very much be potentially offensive. Jesus could be angry about that and then not want to help. They didn't know. All they knew was, we need to get to Jesus. Perhaps a better example for for this would be if if you've ever been sick and there's a certain doctor that you need to see, a special doctor you you have to get to that can help you. And if you've experienced that, then you know that there are sometimes big obstacles that can come with that. There's many phone calls. There's a lot of waiting. There are bills and expenses. It's costly. There's sometimes travel, maybe even hundreds or thousands of miles to get to this doctor that can help you. But you do it. You take on the obstacles because you need to see that doctor. And seeing the doctor is worth all the obstacles and risks you have to go through. And what we see in this story is that seeing Jesus for these men was worth all the obstacles. It was worth going through the risks. 
So Mark chapter 1, it, it, to help give us a little bit of context to setting this story up, we see from the beginning of Mark, right at the beginning of Mark chapter 1, Jesus, he goes through his temptation in the desert. He calls Peter, he calls Andrew, James, and John to be his disciples and to follow him. Then he begins doing his miracles. It all happens very fast when you read through the beginning of Mark chapter 1. And it says that he's driving out unclean spirits and he's healing people. Chapter 1 verse 34 says, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons. So Jesus is preaching and healing and casting out demons in Capernaum, and then he's in Galilee doing the same thing. And then at the end of chapter 1, he heals a man who has leprosy, an unclean man with leprosy. And Jesus tells the man, don't tell anyone what's happened here. But the guy, he what? He tells people anyways, right? Like, how are you going to go through this experience and not tell people about it? So the guy tells people anyways. In verse 45 of Mark chapter 1 says, because of that, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. And even when he was out in deserted places, people came to him from everywhere. So once Jesus began his ministry, he quickly, quickly gains a heavy recognition uh, with the public people. I mean, think about it. He is literally healing people of diseases and sickness. He's driving out demons. Uh, he's teaching in a way no one had ever heard before, better than anyone had ever taught before. He's teaching the Bible. Uh, he's teaching Scripture. He's teaching about God. And on top of those things that he's doing, the healing, the teaching, everything, he's kind, and he's compassionate, and he cares about people. It was totally selfless, the, the ministry that Jesus was doing, and people wanted to see it. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to be close to him. They wanted to experience healing if they needed to be healed. So that's some, some helpful context for the story this morning. And Mark 2 begins and tells us that Jesus is back in Capernaum uh, after being in Galilee. And, and the beginning of verse 1, it says he's back after some days. So Jesus waits some days. We don't know how many, but he, he kind of goes away. He hides out a little bit, lets the crowds and, and the fame and the people wanting to see him, he lets that die down a little bit. And then he goes and it says, it was reported that he was at home. And Mark 1 shows us this would have been Andrew and Simon Peter's house. That's, that's where he was staying. He was, it was reported that he was at home. So word gets out, Jesus is there. And what do you think happens when word gets out? The crowds start to come because they need to see Jesus, right? So crowds start to gather again. And verse 2 says, So many people gathered that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. So it was a packed house, literally. Jesus, Jesus packed the house out. Uh, and verse 2 says, Jesus is preaching the word to them. And in this moment, in moments like these, you really see the selflessness of Jesus because he's been chased by crowds probably for weeks now, has probably barely had a moment to himself, and he finally gets home, and what happens? Another crowd shows up. And when he sees another crowd, he sees people who like Matthew 9 describes his heart when he sees people, they are like sheep without a shepherd. For those who don't know Christ, Scripture teaches you are like a sheep without a shepherd. But the beautiful part of the gospel is Jesus wants to be your shepherd. And I can promise you that he is the only shepherd worth having. 
And the heart of Jesus Christ is for people to know him and to be saved. And that's why he goes through the things that he goes through, because his heart is for people to know him and to be saved. And so he's preaching that message to this crowd. Verses 3 through 5 tells us that some men come carrying a paralytic. And in the Luke account of this story, it tells us that they bring him in on a stretcher. Right? That's how they carried him in, because he's, a, he's paralyzed. He's not able to walk. And naturally, having to carry a man who can't walk, it's going to take a little bit more time to, to get to the party. Right? So naturally, they're going to show up a little bit late. But they show up, and when they show up, they're wanting to see Jesus. Why? Well, word has spread that Jesus can heal, so they're thinking, they know at this point, if there's anyone who can heal this. I've been paralyzed for, we don't know how long, maybe his whole life, but if there's anyone who can heal me from this, it's going to be Jesus. So they get there, and they're late, and it looks like it's too late. There's no path to get to Jesus because the crowd is so large. The doorway is completely blocked. People are everywhere. He's on a stretcher. Like There's not really an easy way to kind of maneuver through the crowd with four people carrying a guy on a stretcher. There's no path to get to Jesus. The crowd's too large. So what do they do? They improvise. They decide that they're going to go through the roof and they're going to dig through it so that they can lower their friend to Jesus Christ. Most people, when they show up to an event that's already full, they just go home, right? Thinking, well, maybe next time. Uh, Most people don't think, let's go through the roof. But that's what they did, right? That, that was their thought. We got to get to Jesus, so we're going to go through the roof. And there have been some houses uh, from Capernaum that have been excavated over recent years. Uh, and what they've discovered is that these houses, they had very small rooms. There wasn't a lot of square footage. Uh, they were, they were single-story houses with very flat roofs uh, that were accessible by an outside staircase, and the roof was often used for working, sometimes even sleeping. So it wasn't some like flimsy top of a roof that could easily be taken off and easily uh, put back on. Wooden beams or branches were thatched together for these roofs, and they were covered in mud too, so it, it was all very sturdy. So making a hole uh, in this roof would have been literally a demolition job. And it says it in the story, they had to dig through it. They would have had to dig out this space, but they're willing to do it, because they just need to get to Jesus. And I think this should be a test of whether or not someone is a worthy friend or not. If you meet someone uh, and you're thinking, I'd like to be friends with this person, first ask them, would you dig out a roof for me? (laughs) That's the mark of a true friendship. Would you rip apart someone's roof for me? And imagine being Simon Peter, like this is his house, you're just kind of laid back. You've got the front row seat, you're chilling on the couch eating some olives or whatever, and you look up, and someone's digging through your roof, right? Like, you'd be like, what's going on? I have to imagine he probably wasn't too thrilled about that uh, when it first happened. But they finally get the roof taken apart. They lower the paralytic into the house. And verse 5 says, And seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. There's no introductions. There's no what do you think you're doing? There's no, what's your name? No, hey, I'm teaching here, nothing. Jesus simply observed what happened and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And you have to wonder at least a little bit, 
Like, why was this Jesus' immediate response? He's, he's teaching God's word, something very important. Like, he's doing something super important right now. He was just interrupted in a very dramatic and distracting way. And his immediate response is, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, something that Scripture makes absolutely clear about Jesus Christ is that when it comes to people, he is always, always concerned with the heart. And I tell our youth this all the time. That's like anytime you're reading a passage, it's always getting to your heart. That's what Jesus is concerned with is the heart. There really isn't anything else that matters before God other than your heart. And the reason for that is because the heart is where sin starts and the heart is where faith starts. And if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you really see Jesus make this clear. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you what, if you have lust in your heart, you're guilty. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you, if you have hate in your heart, you're guilty. He says, you've heard it said, hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemy. He says, don't, don't practice your righteousness openly or, or pray loudly and openly simply because in your heart, you just want to be noticed and you want to look like you're righteous. Everything Jesus talks about that in, that in that sermon, it has to do with the condition of the human heart because the heart is where sin starts and the heart is where faith starts. So Jesus, he immediately sees the heart of this paralytic and his friends and the heart he sees is just a heart with faith in him. That's it. That's what he sees. He sees a paralyzed man and his friends who knew the only place, the only place that healing could be found was at the mercy of Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. They believed in their hearts that there was no one else, no other way, no one who could provide for their needs in this moment other than Jesus. And they believed it so much so that when there was this huge obstacle in their way, they didn't think, well, I guess today is not the day to see Jesus. No, they thought today is the day we have to see Jesus now. And they took apart a roof so that they could get to him. And doing this was evidence of the saving faith that they had in their heart. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. You'll notice that Jesus, he didn't first have a conversation about what his opinions were on uh, church denominations or the end times or the doctrine of free will or the doctrine of election or what he thought about Caesar or what he thought about taxes or, or any question about any theology or Bible passage or anything else at all. He saw their faith and that was enough for Jesus. Amen. And Jesus forgave him because he wanted to. Because even though some of those other things may be important, none of them, not one, is where eternal life is found. That is only in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way. It's only through him. And this is exactly why Jesus says, Not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
He says, in the end, there will be people who say, hey, we did prophecies in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. And Jesus will tell these people, depart from me, you lawbreakers. And it's because whatever works these people did, it wasn't enough to earn eternal life. They did not have faith in the one, the only one, who eternal life comes through. But this paralyzed man and his friends, they put their faith and hope in Jesus, the one where eternal life comes, the only way. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. If you put your faith and hope in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. That is the promise of the gospel. And you know, he came looking for physical healing, a need he had at this point in his life uh, from the only one who could do it. Like he came looking for physical healing from the only one who could do it. And what he received first was spiritual healing, his even greater need from the only one who could do it. That's the only place we can get it, is Jesus Christ. And so the scribes are there when, when this happens, and when they hear what Jesus says, when they hear him say, your sins are forgiven, like there's this moment where they're just like, they, they're a little bit mind-blown. Like they freak out over this because Jesus, this man, has told someone his sins are forgiven, and they're thinking only God can forgive sins. Like this is, this is blasphemy. Who does he think he is? telling people their sins are forgiven, and not just anybody, but this paralyzed man. You see, the, the Jews in this time, uh, and even now, they sometimes believed that if someone had a disease, or if they were paralyzed, or blind, or deaf, or, or any kind of physical limitation like this, it was because of some great sin they had committed in their life. And God was cursing them because of their sin. So in the minds of the scribes and probably a lot of the people there, this paralyzed man, he had done something terrible. And he was paralyzed because God had judged him and he deserved it. And he absolutely didn't deserve forgiveness because God had made it clear he didn't because God had made him paralyzed. But when we read scripture, it's clear that that is not how the consequences of sin works. That's not how God functions. Because sin exists, we live in a broken world. And a broken world means that there will be diseases, there will be sickness, there will be disabilities, there will be pain, there will be loss, there's going to be suffering. And even Jesus makes this clear in Luke chapter 13, he's approached by some people and they ask Jesus about the 18 people who died when the tower of Siloam had fallen on them. You guys remember this story? They say, did they like, are they worse sinners than us because this happened? And Jesus tells them, no, they're not. But if you don't repent, you too will perish. So Jesus makes it clear that just because something bad has happened to someone, it doesn't mean they're more sinful, it doesn't mean they're more guilty, or something specific. Because everyone is sinful, the world is broken, and bad things are going to happen in a broken world. But because everyone is sinful, everyone needs to repent. And trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. In verses 6 and 7, it says, Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus, he 
is immediately aware of what's going on in their hearts. He pretty much reads their minds, and he asks them, he says, why are you thinking these things in your heart? In other words, why don't you believe? Why do you keep doubting? And then Jesus asks them a question. He says, what's easier to say to a man who's paralyzed? Son, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. What's easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Now, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because we don't actually, we don't physically see anything happen, right, when, when God forgives someone. You, you don't see it. That's internal. It's not visible to the eye. It's not physically observable. But what is physically observable? Whether or not you can make a paralyzed man walk. Like that's, that's something that can measure up, that you can prove or not prove, right? The whole point of this passage, the entire point, is that Jesus Christ, being God himself, has the authority to forgive sins. And he's looking at these scribes who are thinking evil things and telling them, I'm the Son of God. I can do what I want. I can forgive whoever I want. And because you want to make such a big fuss over this, I'm going to make this guy walk. He says to the scribes and everyone there, so you know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Get up, take your mat, and go home. And a paralyzed man, at the mercy of King Jesus, he stands up and he walks. And everyone who sees this, verse 12, it says, they were astounded, giving glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus proved in this moment he has all the authority, all the power, because he is God. Every time we, we go through a, a passage like this with our youth, I always want to remind them and tell them that anytime we see Jesus doing a miracle, he's doing it for two reasons. Number one, he's proving he is God and that he has authority. He has the authority and the power to control the wind and the waves. He has the authority and the power to make deaf people hear. He has the authority and the power to make blind people see, to restore a withered hand, to turn water into wine, to make a paralyzed man walk. The authority and power to come upon a dead body, even one that's been dead for days, and bring that person back to life. He had the authority and power for himself to come back to life. And when Jesus does these miracles, he's showing everyone he is God and he has absolute authority to forgive sins. And the second reason Jesus does these miracles is to show that he is good, to show that he has compassion, to show that he cares about the needs of those who are broken, whether physically broken or spiritually broken. He has compassion for people who are lost. He wants salvation to come to those who need it. He is a good, kind, compassionate, gracious, and willing Savior. That is who the God is that we worship. He is good, compassionate, gracious, and willing. This is really an interesting story when we think about the faith of this paralyzed man. Because we really don't know much about it. His purpose in coming to Jesus, it was not to be forgiven. Like he, he was 100% there because he 
wanted to be healed, and he knew Jesus was the one to do it. Nothing in this text here gives any inclination that forgiveness was on his radar whatsoever. He just wanted to be healed. He doesn't come to Jesus confessing Jesus to be Lord like Peter does uh, in Matthew 16 or how Nathaniel does in, in John chapter 1. It's very possible that in this moment, this paralyzed man isn't fully cognitively aware of who the true person of Jesus is at this moment. This is the start of Jesus's ministry, right? Like he kind of just got off the ground at this point. And this story right here, it's the first recorded moment that Jesus actually calls himself the son of man, which is the fulfillment of a prophecy in Daniel chapter seven. But he doesn't even call himself that until after he forgives this guy. The story has reminded me that as I've studied this passage, faith cannot be reduced to what we know. Because if that's the case, the paralytic would not have been forgiven. You wouldn't be forgiven. I wouldn't be forgiven. It cannot be reduced to what we know. You could have top-tier theology, some of the best understanding of Scripture and what it means, know all the terms and how to talk about it, have memorized hundreds of verses, and you could have absolutely no saving faith in Jesus Christ. You could also know none of those things. You could have never even heard the word theology before. You could have never touched a Bible a day in your life. Someone could say John 3.16 to you, and you'd be like, what? What are you talking about? And you know nothing about it. And you could come to Jesus not knowing anything else other than, I need you. And be forgiven of your sins and saved forever and ever. So often we create this list, right? Like it, It's in our, our culture. We create this list that needs to be checked off before we can come to Christ. We need to believe this, and we need to believe this, and this, and this, and we need to, we need to have this understanding first, then you can come to Jesus. Or you, you kind of need to do this. Clean yourself up a little bit. Do this, this, and this, and kind of check this off. Then come to Jesus, and he'll save you. The invitation of Jesus when he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That is an open invitation to all, to everyone. And for anyone who accepts that invitation, anyone who accepts it and comes to him, I'll just tell you, he fully expects you to show up with a long list of unchecked boxes. Like He knows that that's how you're coming to him. But it doesn't matter because he's not looking for any of those things. He's only looking for a heart with faith and hope in him. And because Jesus Christ is God, because he is powerful, because he has authority, and because he is good, he will save and forgive anyone with faith and hope in him. Trust him today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story that teaches us about your power, that teaches us about your authority, that teaches us about your willingness to forgive and your desire to forgive. Thank you that in you there is hope and there is salvation. Amen. Lord, I pray that you would draw us in to you today. Equip us as a church to fulfill the great commission you've called us to. If someone doesn't know you, add them to your kingdom today. In Jesus' name, amen.